All right, if you will take your Bibles out, please, and open them to the book of Hebrews once more. Hebrews and the sixth chapter. And again, by point of reference, we're going to read from verse 4, but we're focusing our attention starting at verse 9. If you join me in standing out of the reverence for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning again at verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love that you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give to us grace in this day. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word. I pray, Father, that you would plant it deep in us and that you would cause us to be shaped and changed and conformed to the image of Christ by the truth of your word. I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us, every one, for the sins that we have brought into this place, for the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the sins of speech, and the sins of silence. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the rebellion in our heart which holds us at arm's length from you, for the willingness to stand only as close as we feel we must so that we might be saved, rather than pressing in with our full heart and our full attention. Father, I pray that as we come to your word this day, you would make us submissive unto it. And I pray, Father, that you would grant to me speech which is powerful and clear, expedient and right. I pray, Father, that anything that I have to say which is not of you would be driven from my mind, that it would be gone. And I pray, God, that everything that you have given for your people would be spoken with clarity and that it would transform lives. I pray for your unction to be upon this day's service. And I pray, God, that your word would go forth in power, that Jesus might be honored and that his name might be magnified. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we left off last week with the idea of inspection. Inspecting our own souls, our own salvation. The idea of being a watchman over the souls of our brethren. And to be willing to live with mutual accountability and to care for one another that encourages growth, maturity, and holiness. Now, unfortunately, this kind of life as the body is often a rare commodity. All too often, our life as the body is tainted with with envy and selfishness, and we are frequently more concerned with making ourselves look good at the expense of others. We'll drag out every bad thing we know about someone so that they are made less than we think ourselves to be, and this kind of malice kills the unity and grace that is to be the hallmark of the body of Christ. I've known far too many churches over the years that have been utterly destroyed by that kind of venom. The constant infighting, the constant sniping, the constant chewing up of one another because you can. The writer of Hebrews is giving us a better example of how we're to speak, even when something difficult must be addressed. Uh, You notice we read that whole passage and he shows restraint and care. I'm certain he could have named names, I'm certain he could have given details. I'm certain he could have drug out every lurid thing that he was actually speaking about, but he didn't because it wasn't necessary. He's unwilling to drag them through the mud, and instead he's focusing on the importance of the issues rather than the petty things that would often be the only topic of conversation. This pattern is one that we should seek to emulate. 
Guided by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, we must seek to submit our words and our tongues to the authority of the God who calls us his own precious possession. So I want to think with you this morning about what it means to speak like a Christian. I want to think with you this morning about what it means to talk in a way and a manner which honors the Christ, even when there are hard things that have to be addressed, and to use some discretion about when things need to be addressed and when they don't need to be addressed. Because there's a lot of times where stuff gets said that had no business being repeated. And there's a lot of times when things get drug out and drugged through the mud just because you can instead of because it needs to be. So there needs to be some discretion, there needs to be some discernment, And to start all of this conversation off, I just want to draw your attention to how the writer of Hebrews, even though he he spoke guardedly and carefully and, and with discretion, he still says, even though I have to speak in this manner, I want you to know that I have a better estimate. Do do you follow that? Even as guarded and reserved and and discreet as his rebuke is, there's almost a sense of apology that he had to say something hard, even though he said it so well. That's That's a heart that we would do well to emulate. There are times where hard things have to be said. There are times where difficult truths must be pressed. There are times where somebody has to be challenged, has to be rebuked, has to be chastened, But we do it with grace, we do it with kindness, we do it with love, and we do it with as little public shame as is possible. Or you're not doing it with the Spirit of Christ. Does that make sense? We have to be careful about this. Because all too often we think, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you can tell me that that statement is a lie from your own bitter experience? All of us. Amen? We know that words hurt. In fact, we know that words often hurt worse than fists. We know that words can cut into a person's soul and carry a scar that they can never seem to get rid of. Though all common sense says, look, it's only words. Put it away. It's very hard to do that. So it's better for the body of Christ to function in such a way that that damage is not done in the first place. Now, I'm not talking about vacillating on what's true. And I'm not talking about not speaking the truth. What I'm talking about is speaking the truth with grace, speaking the truth with love. And we begin by understanding that our words are powerful. Look at Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 20 gives us something that's worth considering. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, and from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So let me ask you a question. Do you relish the sharing of ugly details about somebody else's life so that you can feel better than they are. Maybe you haven't even put the motive to work, but ask yourself this question. Are you a person who engages in saying something just because you know it? Because if you are, this is going to come back to bite you at some point in your life. What God says is, you speak, and what you speak fills your life. So if what you speak is destructive, harmful, divisive, ugly, bitter, inflicting of pain just because you can, if that's the pattern of your speech, then guess what you're going to be planting into your own life? All of that stuff that you're putting out is exactly what you will reap. If that marks the pattern of your speech, it will also mark the pattern of your life. 
Because a man's life will be filled by the fruit of his mouth. By the fruit of your lips, you plant what gets brought back into your life. There is a, a, a justice in how God deals with your speech. Amen. He doesn't just pass over it because words are spoken and then they're gone. In fact, he says exactly the opposite. Your words have the power of life and death. They have the power of life and death in somebody else, but they also, because they're what fills your life, have the power of life and death in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to say something bad about somebody and drop dead of a heart attack tomorrow. That's not the point. The point is, you're going to be speaking in such a way that everything you bring into your life because of the kind of person you're showing yourself to be is going to be filled with pain and sorrow and misery. You need to guard your tongue. You need to speak words that are life rather than words that are death. And we need to be mindful of this as followers of Christ because your words reveal your heart. Okay? Look at me at at, um, Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs 26, starting at verse 23. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. He who hates disguises it with his lips, and he lays up deceit with himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So what God is telling us is is that when you're out there talking and being wicked and being vile and speaking bad things about people, you might think you're being sly. You might think that nobody's really noticing what's going on underneath your language, underneath the words, underneath the patterns of your speech. But if you're a person who delights in sharing every evil thing you've ever heard about somebody else, understand that the people that you're speaking to, they get what's really going on inside of you. They understand that, yeah, you you say you're a Christian, you say you speak righteousness, you say that you love God, but your language is hateful to the people around you. And if it is, then do you think that they're going to mark you out as somebody who loves God or as somebody who hates? Which one is it revealing, truthfully? It reveals that you hate. It reveals the true nature of your own heart. And it not only reveals the true nature of our heart as far as people seeing what you really are, but it also goes deeper than that. And it's showing what your spirit is in the sight of God. Look with me in the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew, chapter 12, and uh, starting at verse 35. These are the words of Jesus. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil of his heart, out of the evil born out of his... Sorry, my eyes completely went weird there. A good man speaks out of the good treasure of his heart and brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I should have started reading at verse 34. He says, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our words not only reveal the truth of our nature and our hearts to people, but they also reveal something deeper in the sight of God. If you are a person who is not capable of speaking well of people and only can speak evil because it's all you store up, what are you confessing about the nature of your own heart? Is it a heart that's been made new? Possibly not. Is it a heart that honors God? Certainly not. Is it a heart that loves? No. Beloved, we have to understand that the words that you speak are not merely idle sounds to fill the void. They confess something powerful. 
And they confess something which needs to be understood. And if it, what is confessing is wicked, then it needs to be repented of. Look, here's the truth. Speech is a privilege. Okay? The ability to talk just to another person and share your heart and your mind and, and your intentions and, and everything that you share and treasure and value, that ability is a gift that God gives. But more than that, it is a privilege to be permitted to speak to the people of God. It's not something to be taken lightly. And it's not just me, right? I understand how privileged I am to stand up here and communicate the God's truth to the people of God. I understand that this calling that's on my life is a sacred duty, but it is also an awesome privilege. God gives me great pleasure and He gives me great responsibility to stand here and speak to you the things of God, to tell you what He's placed on my heart. It's something that I live with all the time. But it's also something that I want you to understand, whether you're up here or sitting somewhere else, if you represent Christ, you also must recognize that it is a privilege which has been granted to you. And you speak the truth of God, and it is a mark of His favor on you to allow you to do so. Because a person who has not been chosen by God, called out and made alive, might say they represent God, and I can point you to many, many, many who would say they represent God. But they are not His people. They have not been given the privilege of carrying the truth of God to God's people. If you belong to Him, you have been. And this privilege is not something to be taken lightly. So we need to be careful about how we speak because not only is God going to hold us accountable as a privileged people, but He's also going to hold us accountable for how we speak to and about the people that He loves. Husbands, let me ask you a question. How many of you would sit idly by and let your wife's good name and reputation be drugged through the dirt in a bar or in a park or anywhere for that matter? How many of you would be willing to allow somebody to speak garbage about somebody that you love or speak garbage to them? Do do we think that God loves his people less than we love our wives? Do we think that God is not concerned when somebody speaks evil of his people? Or somebody speaks evil to his people? Do we think that he is not concerned with the patterns of speech that have embedded themselves in our lives? I assure you he is concerned. So we must be careful to address ourselves to people with grace. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So before you ever say word one, ask yourself this question. Does the thing I'm about to say convey the grace of Christ that saved me? Does it convey the grace of Christ that might impart grace to the one to whom I'm speaking? Does the thing that's about to come out of my mouth reflect on my God honorably or dishonorably? We have to ask ourselves these questions. Because all too often, our mouth is already running long before our brain has even alerted itself to the fact that noise is coming out of us. And once the words are out, they're out. There's no taking them back. Beloved, it matters in your interpersonal relationships one with another. It matters in conflicts, in marriages or friendships or within the church. And it matters just in the casual conversations of how you speak to people and how you speak about people. Let your speech occasionally be seasoned by grace. Is that what Paul says? 
No. Let your speech be always seasoned with grace. Let it be such that that is the mark of your speech and the mark of your affection for the person to whom and about whom you are speaking. Beloved, I have been involved in in hearing conversations over the course of my life where somebody would say something about somebody and I ask the question to myself and occasionally to them and make them angry. Do you not like this person? Do you not love this person? You say you love them, but you talk about them like they're garbage. It is reprehensible that we allow ourselves to fall into these patterns of speech. The writer of Hebrews had terrible things to say about some of the people in the church in Jerusalem. But we don't know who. And we don't know exactly what. And we don't know exactly why. And that is exactly right. He made his point. He said what needed to be said, and no more. And even then... There's this note of apology in it. Even though I have to speak this way, I want you to know I'm confident of better things concerning you. Beloved, that flavor, that heart, is, is being seasoned with grace. And more than that, it is language which edifies. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary, what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, this is a two-part command. First, speak everything that you speak, so that it builds up those who hear in the grace of God. Your words should be intentionally and purposefully, spiritually, that which builds up. So be asking yourself the question, is what I'm about to say going to build up somebody's character, somebody's nature, somebody's heart, somebody's response to God? Am I going to make them more, or am I going to make them less? So let your speech be that which builds up. But there's also a negative command here. Avoid speech which corrupts. So, spiteful speech. If you're angry, maybe it would be better to be quiet. Amen? I can't remember anything I've ever gone onto a diatribe in my life when I was angry that was helpful for anybody. And I'll excuse it and say, I'm just angry. But does it make it right? No. When you're angry, maybe you should avoid speech for a little bit. Certainly you should avoid grudges. Those things where somebody made you so mad that every time you're going to speak to them or about them for the rest of your life, you're going to make sure that everybody knows every bad thing they've ever done to you over the course of their entire existence. Sometimes when people get mad, they get historical. Drag out the entire list of all the things that somebody did 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 20 years ago. Remember that time when we were three and you did that? Okay. Let go of that stuff. I promise you this. You do not want God holding on to your sins like you hold on to the sins of others. Amen? You do not want God holding a grudge against you and using your pattern of forgiveness as His. We also want to be careful of speaking that which is not needful. Speaking that which is merely ugly with no redeeming intent or value. If it ain't ugly, it's true. Or it ain't ugly if it's true is a lie. You understand that? You have a right to know. If somebody starts off telling you that, odds are you probably don't. And I'm going to share this with you in love. If you've got to tell me that you're loving me, odds are you're not. You want to be careful about how we speak. And we want to be careful about why we speak. Avoid corrupting speech. Avoid divisive speech. Proverbs 26 Proverbs chapter 26, um, verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. 
As charcoal is to burning coals, and as wood is to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the inmost body. Now I can tell you this from bitter personal experience. There is not a single trouble in a church which has ever existed wherein somebody was not running around making sure everybody knew what was going on. Not one time ever in the course of history. How do I say that? Because the scripture says, where there is no talebearer, what happens to strife? It ceases. So the best way to put an end to strife in a church or in a family or in anything else is to quit talking about things that don't need to be talked about. Amen? Put an end to it. Because if you're running around making sure that everybody knows your side of the story or everybody knows your input and your idea about what's going on, here's what you need to know. You are the problem. If I don't need to know it, I don't need to know it. And if I need to know it, I'll know. God will tell me. He'll make sure I find out. But when churches give in to this and start running around telling tales and carrying stories and making sure that everybody knows, that is the death knell for fellowship in that church. That is the death knell for communion in that church. And often, it is the death knell of the church itself. That kind of garbage, that kind of gossip kills churches. So avoid it. Avoid divisive speech. We want to stay away from slander. We want to stay away from gossip. And ultimately, we want to remember that we are called to speak mercifully. Use discretion. We're obligated within the bounds of holiness to cover one another's faults. You you are obligated to speak in such a way that you cover over somebody's indiscretions. You don't need to be dragging it out. You may need to deal with the sin that's underneath it. The scripture talks to us about how we go to somebody who's violated something, broken fellowship with us, has offended us in some way. You start off going to them one-on-one. And if they won't listen to you, you bring one person with you. And if they won't listen, then it comes to the church. But so often we get that backwards. This person offended me. I'm going to make sure the whole church knows that I'm mad and why. I want to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. I'm going to make sure that all the gory details get drug out. That's not using discretion. And there may be a time and a place where after proper church discipline order has been followed, where some details need to be brought out. But in the end... That's to be done carefully, and it's to be done in love, and it is to be done with an eye to restore, not to divide. God calls us to be careful in our speech. God calls us to, to speak because it has to be said according to His grace and not according to our desire. Ask yourself the question, does that detail that I'm about to disclose actually need to be disclosed? If not, keep it to yourself. It doesn't need to be said. You do not need to drag it out in light of the world for everybody to see. Just because you know something, just because you have been given some information, or because you think you know something, does not mean that it needs to be shared. Does that make sense? We need to be careful of this. We need to be attentive to the truth of God. We need to speak with an abundance of grace and mercy rather than allowing our own anger or jealousy to govern our speech. Proverbs 12.16 says, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. And sometimes we need to keep the ugly truth to ourselves. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Ultimately, the goal of our speech should be such that any outsider who overhears our conversation would have nothing to say which is not an adornment to Christ. Amen? Amen. Let our words adorn His glory. Let our speech patterns be pleasing in His sight. Let them be such 
that anybody who hears us talking would say, wow, Jesus is really beautiful. And I, I want to get to know Him better because of how these people talk to each other. Because of how these people talk about each other. And because of how wonderfully and graciously and kindly these people even manage to resolve their differences. This is important because this conveys the honor of our God. Proverbs 25, verses 11 and 12 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. So we want to make sure that we're going out of our way to make sure that the faults which are so evident to us are kept from the glare of the public eye. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So you you want to honor Christ? You want to build love? Use discretion. Cover up sin that doesn't need to be spoken of to everybody. Use some grace in that. We also want to learn to speak with wisdom. So it's essential to know when to strike and when to comfort. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21, we read it already. The power of life and the power of death are in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So there is wisdom here to know when we are supposed to speak. Words can be healing or words can be destructive. So there is a balancing obligation that we are called to speak in such a way that sin is not coddled. So while we want to use mercy and exercise discretion, we want to do it in such a way that we are not condoning or allowing sin to remain unchecked. This requires some maturity. It requires prayerful reflection. It requires us to be on point so that we're conscious of what's happening. And let me give you a guiding principle here. I'm going to pick on Peggy because she's looking at me. If Peggy is concerned that Karen has something going on in her life that she should not have going on in her life, she should not be speaking to Jenna about Karen. Amen? To whom should she speak about the issue that is going on? To Karen. Right? So in the end, the very simple groundwork says, it's not gossip if I'm talking to you about you. (laughs) Does that make sense? But if I'm talking to somebody else about you, it is gossip. Look, if, if what you want to share doesn't concern me, unless it's something funny and uplifting and edifying, sure. But if what you want to share has no concern for me whatsoever and all you want to do is make sure that I or somebody else knows something bad about somebody else, please keep it to yourself. Because you need to understand my normal pattern when somebody starts to do that to me is I just leave. So if you're in the middle of a conversation and I get up and I walk out of the room, you might just ask yourself, "Uh, what am I doing here? I was talking to him, and then he just vanished. Well, that's because I didn't want to hear what you were saying. That's probably cowardly on my spot on my part. Maybe I should be more courageous and say, "Excuse me, that's gossip. Be quiet." Because it happens a lot. Not necessarily people in this room. I'm, I'm, I don't want anybody to think I'm preaching about them. <laughs> But ultimately, we're, we're going to be facing that challenge often. And many times it's going to be by people who would tell you they're Christians. You need to be mindful of this. You need to be conscious of the fact that to engage in, in those conversations leaves you culpable. It leaves you guilty. Don't participate. Don't partake in those conversations. Don't share in the gossip. Instead, we need to use the privilege of speaking to the body of Christ to encourage holiness with the people to whom we're speaking. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in your scripture list, it just says Thessalonians. Apparently, when I copied and pasted, I cut out the first 
So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and um, starting at verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. So speak for holiness. You want to speak in such a way that you not only are are honorable and justifiable in your speech before God, but you want to speak in such a way that your words lift somebody else's attention to see God in His glory and help them understand what righteousness and holiness looks like by the flavor and the content of what you choose to speak about. You have the power to speak life into somebody else's heart by speaking to them of the truth of God. You have that potential. You have that ability. You have the calling from God which calls you to do that. You, as a chosen child of the King, have the ability to speak to somebody else in such a way that your words actually can convey life. And it's something that we need to take very seriously because God is concerned about holiness. We also want to speak reflectively. We have an obligation to judge those who are inside the church. We've spoken about this time and time again. When the world says, you have no right to judge me, they're partly right. Paul asks the question, what have I to do with judging those outside the church? He says, I do judge those who are inside the church, though. That's our obligation. But we need to do it in a way that is righteous in the sight of God. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now there's two words here. One is burden, the other is load. And they are distinctly different words in the Greek. The idea of a burden is a, is a, is a great weight, which is a trial on somebody. And we are supposed to bear one another's burdens. So if somebody is overcome, somebody is overborne, the body of Christ is to come alongside them, help carry the load. But then each one is supposed to carry his own share, his own load. Those are the things that are actually your responsibility, and and Scripture calls us to do that. And notice contextually what it's talking about is the obligation to examine your own life before you begin to examine somebody else's. It is the obligation to look at your own sin, your own failing, your own disobedience, and say, Lord, I'm guilty. Please forgive me. Give me grace as I try to address this thing which you've laid on my heart to address with my brother. Give me grace to do it kindly. Give me grace to do it gently. Give me grace to do it in a way that honors Christ. Help me be obedient to your spirit as I do this because I recognize my own sin. There is a completely different atmosphere if you come at somebody and try to rebuke them for their sin from your high and and lofty horse by which you say, I would never do that, you dirty rotten dog. Whereas coming alongside somebody and saying, brother, I I suffer this as well. Let's pray together. Let's seek the face of God together. Let's strive for righteousness one unto another. 
And where somebody has fallen victim to atrocious sin, it is the responsibility of the church to seek to restore them and to restore them graciously and to seek to restore them being clear about the fact that their fall could just as easily have been you. It is only the grace of God that sustains you from egregious sin. It is only the grace of God which allows us to walk carefully. So we need to speak for holiness. We need to speak reflectively, examining our own heart. We also need to speak needfully, which means we have an obligation to speak that which is needed, not only that which is comfortable. Proverbs 28.23 says, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. Look, rebuking somebody is never pleasant. Going to a brother who has sin evident in his life when God lays it on your heart is a lot harder than going to your friend about your brother. Amen? It's really easy to take the low road and talk about somebody else's sin to a disinterested third party. You almost feel like you've accomplished something. Oh, we got that out. Yeah, but not with the right person. Going to somebody and rebuking them for their sin is hard stuff. It's not for the faint of heart. And often, if somebody is not ready to receive a rebuke, you might end up uncomfortable. It might be painful. It might strain a relationship for a while. But the scripture promises that in the end, those who are willing to love somebody enough to rebuke them will gain favor with them in the end. That God will use that rebuke in his own time and God will do what is needful and turn their hearts unto himself and they will remember who their true friends were. Now there are times where you can feel like that's not true (laughs) because I've rebuked this person and they hate me. And that was 20 years ago and they still hate me. But God knows his own work and God knows his own will. And God knows what he is doing And we need to take him at his word and trust him, regardless of what we can see with our eyes. Be courageous enough to speak the truth into every relationship that matters to you. And if those relationships in which you are unwilling to speak the truth do not matter to you, ask yourself the question, why are they in my life at all? Because if you only have relationships that don't matter to you so that you can run around trashing people, it speaks something evil of your heart. Ask yourself the question. If it's a relationship that you have invested yourself in in any way, it should matter to you. And if it matters to you, you should be willing to speak the truth to them rather than about them. And you should be willing to do it in such a way that they hear you and that they have the opportunity to either repent or get mad about it. But either way, it's not anybody else's business but yours and theirs. And that's the way it needs to be kept. We need to make sure then that we as a people learn to speak truthfully in how we speak to one another so that God's word is honored and that his promises have the, have the opportunity to actually bear fruit. Love speaks the truth even when it hurts. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives display by his earnest counsel. So the more you speak earnestly and honestly and truthfully with somebody, the more you are marked out as a true friend. God calls us to be honest. He calls us to speak truth. Here's your pro tip for the day. He also calls you to be intentional in forming friendships with people who will be willing to give that kind of counsel to you. You don't need yes men. They're not going to help you. In fact, they're going to hurt you. A yes man will do nothing but confirm you in the error of your ways. He will strengthen the lies that drive you. Which is why I believe that no president should be allowed to choose his own cabinet. Because all he's going to do is surround himself with people that agree with him. 
Amen? You have the power to choose friends who will hold you to a scriptural accountability, who will be willing to speak truth into your life, and you need to recognize that if you are willing to do that, it will sometimes be painful, but it will always be beneficial. But if you only surround yourself with people who will agree with everything you say and who will yes your every decision, it will seldom be painful and it will never be beneficial. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 say, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So when you pick friends who won't challenge you, who won't speak truth to you, who will tell you how wonderful you are and how great you are and everything that you think and everything that you do, understand that these are the kisses of an enemy and that every word they say is a lie. Don't put those people into your life. Be willing to embrace the pain of somebody who's going to speak truthfully to you, who's going to speak honestly to you. And you want to be careful, lastly, to make sure that your speech is always aimed towards heaven. I don't mean that you walk around with your head up like a turkey in the rain, but, but that you are intentionally trying to make sure that the people that you speak to are being reminded of our eternity, being reminded of where we're going and what we're really about. We want to make sure that we wage war against the true enemy and not against one another. Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6 say, A wise man is strong, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. You you build your entourage, you build your cabinet of counselors according to wisdom. And they will give you guidance, and they will give you direction, and they will hold you accountable for your sin. And they will aim you at God. Or you build your entourage and you build your counsel out of the yes men who will aim you someplace else. Because in the end, there are only two eternal destinations. If truth is the sole purview of God, then truthful speech aims you where? To God. But if truthful speech is not present... Where are you being aimed? Away from God. You are being aimed into the arms of the enemy. You are being aimed ultimately at hell. These are the influences of your friends. Who do you choose to surround yourself with? And who do you choose to be in somebody else's life? Beloved, you have great power to speak truth to a dying world. You have great power to speak truth to the people of God who may be vacillating on the edge, who who may just be on the very edge of crumbling from the extreme pressure of living in this fallen culture. Perhaps they are weak. Perhaps they are not a person who, who pours Scripture into themselves. Perhaps they are not a person who has a vital, dynamic relationship with God. They're, they're saved, but they're, but they're not a person who is walking with God very closely. What do they need? They need somebody to come alongside them and walk in the way with them and aim them towards heaven. And those who know God have that privilege and have that responsibility. Use your words to encourage one another towards the things of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What is it 
that we're supposed to do as a rule for life and speech and our interpersonal relationships. We are to walk in such a way that everything we do carries with it the aroma of heaven, carries with it the flavor of Christ, carries with it the potential to call people unto life, and carries with it the beauty of His holiness being surrounded in everything that we do. Beloved, our calling is to be the very people of God among the lost and dying, to be the very people of God among the living, to be the very people of God in everything that we do and in everything that we say. And I need to express this with all the passion I have that never allows us to speak in a way that destroys people. It never allows us to speak in a way that destroys people even if they're not present. Probably especially if they're not present. (laughs) Be careful what you speak. Be careful how you speak it. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you're willing to engage in. Let your words be such that if God brings you into a place where you must rebuke somebody, that you do it with grace and discernment and discretion and kindness, that you do it in such a way that God himself is honored and that nobody, and I mean nobody, that is not directly connected to what's going on ever hears from you what happened. Amen? Let your words be a blessing rather than a cursing. And let God be honored in how He does His work in your life. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You give to us grace in this day. And Lord, it's, it's so hard for us because words are the void-filling thing that we so often engage in. Forgive us for our casual way that we carry about our speech. Forgive us for not being intentional. Forgive us for not being deliberate. Forgive us for not being holy in our speech. And forgive us, God, for not being willing to engage with the lost around the things of God in such a way that our words are an ornament to Christ. God, I just pray that you would even now pour out your Spirit over us and make our speech new. Make our patterns new. Make our lives and our hearts new in such a way that Christ is supremely honored by the way that this people speak to each other, speak to the lost, and speak of Him. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.